Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We start a new series, as I mentioned earlier, entitled Callings. It is an emphasis on how God has been searching for us even from the beginning of creation. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that God is walking through the garden and he's looking for Adam and Eve. And God not only calls all of us back to him in relationship, but ultimately in Christ we see this specific choice of God in Christ. In John 15 verse 16 Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And in a culture and environment where we really think everything is up to us, as if everything is a remote control of some kind, it is good to be reminded that when it comes to who we are as God's creation, it really is nothing more than responding to the calling. Like my mother who used my full name to get my attention, God calls to us in circumstances and situations. We're about to read the call of the disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He goes back to uh, Nazareth. He hears about the death of John the Baptist. And he leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum. It's known in his Hebrew as Capernaum. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And this would be the base of Jesus' ministry for three years. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 specifically says, From that time, when Jesus got to Capernaum, he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is an image of looking downward towards uh, Capernaum from the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is in the distance. This would be the area where Jesus is probably preaching for those three years, much of what's beyond the horizon here. If you were to swing the camera to the right, you would look down across the plain where the Mount of Beatitudes sermon was delivered, or as Luke says, the sermon on the plain in Luke chapter 6. Beyond that, you go to Tapka, the place of the loaves and fishes. You move on around to Magdala, you know, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. Magdala was the Bucky's of Jesus' time. You would come down from Jerusalem, up, up from Jerusalem around Mount Arbel, hang a hard right, go down through the Valley of the Doves, and you would be weary from the journey and you would show up at the Bucky's. And there is even there today a place of Magdala that you can go and see the first century cobblestone of the port that literally boats rested on as they came in from the Sea of Galilee. I'll let you know, I put out some brochures. Israel is opening back up and we're heading back in March of next year for another trip. If you would like any information, pick up the brochure, uh, give me a call or email me and I'll be happy to share any details with you. But I wanted you to get a sense of the range of what we're talking about. We believe that 80% of Jesus' ministry happens in this area. Now, we we don't know if the four disciples um, actually heard Jesus preach All we know is they knew something about him. They had to know something about him. And Jesus calls them by name. He doesn't say, hey, you in the boat with the purple tunic. Are you holding the net? Yeah, yeah. What's your name? He calls them by name. Or maybe maybe they heard 
about who Jesus was, and they had been anxiously watching the shoreline as they came in each day. Hey, did you hear about that rabbi going around healing people, making difference in people's lives? I wonder if he's ever going to come by here. Well, today, my friends, he's going to come by. He's going to come by you and me, and we're going to read of that encounter in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. I invite you to please stand as you're able as we do our best to read the text without our glasses. <clears throat> we had the I Am They concert last night, and two things didn't return, my spray bottle of hand sanitizer and my glasses. So I have the hand sanitizer here, so communion will smell like um, aloe scent today. And we're going to see how far we can stretch. I heard that. You know, I'm right here. I can hear y'all laughing, right? You know that, right? <laughs> Roper, you know I can hear you snickering, right? If you really love me, you'd throw me your glasses. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. God, may your spirit come and stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we have gathered, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. I've never really known what it's like to be anywhere but in church. I grew up in church. I'm a third-generation pastor. Most of the time when my mother used that full Christian name, it's because someone in Wichita Falls called and told her I was driving, or I was to go to church to help my father with something at the church. I was nurtured in the church. I was raised in the church, I was taught in the church, I was corrected in the church, I was baptized in the church. My whole life has been in the life of the church, but my friends, there is an extraordinary difference between going to church and knowing of God and having a relationship 
with God through faith in Christ. It wasn't really till the end of my sophomore year when I heard Michael Singletary speaking at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event that I understood the difference that he put in context. You see, I'd been going to church and going through the motions, and as much as I could, I responded. You couldn't say that I had an inauthentic response, but I would tell you this, it wasn't a full surrender of my life. It was, it was just sort of a, yeah, this is what we do. But when Jesus calls you by name like, like he did for me in that summer after my sophomore year at Oklahoma State University when Mike Singletary, a preacher's kid, a middle linebacker for the Baylor Bears, and at that time was also playing for the Chicago Bears, when he stated the faith in a way that says, you know, you go to church because Christ has grabbed hold of your heart and you've surrendered your life. Something changed for me in the equation and, and it was sort of, for me, my Matthew chapter 4 moment. You, you see, I still went to church, but, but the way I went to church was totally different. I went expectant. I went hungry. I went looking. And I sought for opportunities to grow my faith in Christ. I had that at once and immediately moment in a chair in an auditorium. But I can tell you, my friends, God, I pray, isn't done saving me yet. But... It required a response on my part. Here's the amazing thing. Peter and Andrew are called by name by Jesus, and the text says, at once. Now, I know the text. Just listen to the text. It will tell you all you need to hear. Peter and, Peter and Andrew did not say, he, he, he's talking to us? Me? Simon Peter, me? Andrew didn't go, Peter, Peter. Who is that? Why does he know our names? All we know from the text is the compelling call of Christ when he calls you by name means that there's going to be an at once kind of response and life will be different. And then you get to James and John and the word is immediately they drop their nets. I don't think it's accidental that the call of these first four disciples has a sense of immediacy and a sense of response that needs to be mirrored in your life and mine in the world today. That when we hear the call of Christ, at once and immediately we surrender our lives. I've been listening to a podcast on Mars Hill, really kind of fascinating. In fact, our whole pastoral staff, and it spurns lots of conversation about how does God move in and through things as we struggle to understand the relationship between uh, this new world of media and connecting with those of you who are connecting with us online and those of you who are in the pew and how do we balance all the differing expectations. In the end of one of the podcasts, there is a quote from Andy Crouch, and this is what he said. I just thought it was fascinating. It spoke into, I think, what I'm hearing in this text. He said, the two most recognizable women in the world at the time died in the same week, Mother Teresa and Princess Diana, but utterly different paths to being celebrity and influence. It's fascinating that almost everybody wanted to be like Diana, but nobody could be like Diana because no one person, not one person gets to marry the Prince of Wales. We got like no shot at being like Diana, zero. Then he goes on to say this. 
Meanwhile, we have Teresa of Calcutta, and anybody could be like her. Because all she is is a saint, and anybody can be a saint if they open themselves up to Jesus. We have not lacked for models of godly power. We just don't want the suffering that comes with it. The long stretches of anonymity and seemingly ineffectiveness, the humiliation of being like our Lord, that part we would really rather not have. Every day I'm tempted to divert some path to some path other than the path of sainthood. In other words, friends, when Christ calls, there's something disruptive that needs to happen in life. And if you've encountered the living Christ and absolutely nothing has changed in your life, then the question should be, have you really encountered Christ? Have you really allowed your life to be encountered by Christ? Something's got to be different or there hasn't really been an encounter or a change. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. It's literally as if there is a cup of steaming hot water and you take a tea bag and you put it beside the cup. It's going to have no effect. It only has effect when it moves to the inside its context and soaks up what's around it. What about your life? What about your response to Christ? What about you're at once an immediately moment. Where is God calling you and you have filled your response with nothing more than excuses and rationalization? Do you have a moment you can touch and say, in the words of the old hymn, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give? I surrender all. Do you have that kind of moment in your life? And if you don't, I beg of you, Look into your walk with God and invite him into a deeper place or move the tea bag from the counter into the cup of your heart and let the spirit soak up who you are. And if you don't have any clue what I'm talking about and you say, preacher, I don't get it. I go to church. Please contact me. I would love for you. I have a host of people who have been people who have been in the pew who've had a moment to encounter Christ. And it won't be from the preacher's perspective. It'll be from the perspective of a pew and a person who can say, this is what it looked like in my life. And sometimes we need that. And to be able to see what does that journey look like? It looks different for many people, but it's got to show up in a change when God calls. When I was at Duke, we had the opportunity to, um, we would come through the narthex of the Duke Chapel each week, and we would pick up Will Willimon, who was the dean of the chapel, and almost a southern humorist, he would put out his sermons. So this was an incentive for us to get to school early on Mondays, and you could pick up if there were any leftover sermons. You could also, though as a student, you could actually arrange to have lunch with him. So Tresco Shannon and I would occasionally, about once every two months, schedule to have lunch with Dr. Williman. Sometimes it was in the kind of the commons hall. Sometimes we would go over to the Washington Duke Inn for a fancy lunch, and we spent every penny we had trying to impress a professor that we didn't have a class with. 
And we sat down with him once and we were saying, tell us that story again, Dr. Wilman. Tell us that story again about that, about that father who was mad at you that called. And Wilman said, oh, you mean the guy from up north that had the daughter who was going to be a doctor? Yeah, yeah, that's the one, that's the one. You told it a couple of weeks ago. He said, well, that's simple. I go in, secretary says there's someone mad at me. Did something to his daughter. That got my attention. I didn't do anything about his daughter. So I went in, picked up the phone. The father started right in on me. Can't believe you're corrupting my daughter's mind and doing all this. And Willman said, what are you talking about? He said, don't you understand? Our family's been in the world of being physicians in our town for two decades, two generations. We sent our daughter down to Duke to get an education in her pre-med. And you go messing her up. She's gone to Haiti. Now she wants to go do mission work in Haiti and not go on to med school. And Willman said, basically, he said, did you ever baptize? He said, well, sure we did. He said, well, she was messed up when we got her then. Don't blame me. Blame God. Don't you love that? And then he ended up, have a nice day. And he hung up. Because he could. Now, I can't do that when people call. But the reality is this. When Christ takes hold of your life, it's got to look different. And it's going to look different. The trajectory of my own life into ministry has looked different because of the moment that I was in a chair and made a response at Oklahoma State University at the end of my sophomore year. Everything changed. Some things became clear, some things became challenges, but it was clear this personal relationship that I share with Christ must lead me beyond participation on Sunday morning. It leads me into the world. If we really do our best job effectively as a church, We're basically training you every week to give your life away somewhere beyond the threshold of this pep rally called the people of God. That you would look for the opportunity to give your life away. We celebrate this in Holy Communion, in this meal. The undergirding concept of Holy Communion is the way in which God has given his life to us. And we're called to receive and give our lives away to others. And our great Thanksgiving today will be specifically highlighting the imagery of what it means to participate in that activity, receiving and giving. In our World Communion Sunday, we join with our brothers and sisters from around the world who break bread at the table, whose challenges are very different and most much greater than ours. Our greatest challenge is our comfort and moving beyond our comfort. Sometimes their greatest challenge is finding anything that could be used as bread or juice. But this day, in the words of that hymn, can you hear the Savior calling? And in this meal, will you go with him? wherever he leads. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. These words of the great thanksgiving guide us into the heart of God. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe. 
Even when we were dust, when our story begins in dust, you were there. Your word was there. You breathed life into the lifeless void. And upon your word, all creation sprang into life. And when we were in the wilderness, terrified and timid, you were there. And your word was there with manna just enough for today, with water even from the driest rock, with abundant grace upon which our story always rests. And when we fell short, you were there. Your word was there on the lips of prophets and in the hearts of servants, in the stories of revolution and revelation and liberation, calling us even now to acts of courage, self-sacrifice, and witness. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of angels, prophets, apostles, and martyrs, and with all the faithful of every tribe, time, and place across the face of the earth, who forever sing the glory of your name as in the heavenly realms. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Indeed, blessed are you. Our, o Christ, our Lord, for risking yourself among us, vulnerable and rejected, for teaching among us, teaching the radical hope of God, teaching grace to a world bent on reprisal, teaching love to a world bent on destruction, teaching peace to a world bent on tearing itself apart. You were there. Your word was there. Even to the point of death itself, even faced with terror and hatred and the brokenness of the world, you rose again to new life, to new creation, to resurrection, that we might know something other than the dust, that we might expect something other than the end, that we might work for something other than ourselves. And so you speak to us again with these abundant gifts of bread and wine, with which we joyfully celebrate your dying and rising, as we await the table of the kingdom yet to come, and as we dedicate ourselves again to you, thankful and transformed, living and holy sacrifices, as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ, Christ will come, come again. again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and on these, your gifts of the bread and the cup. That the bread we break together and the cup we share together may retell our common stories and remember our common grace together found in you in the communion of the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one in whose life and death you have torn down our divisions. And so may we be one with all who share this feast this day, the day of all days, with everyone who gather at your table. May we share this abundant cup with all those who thirst for your justice. May we share this abundant bread with all those who hunger for your righteousness. May we be united with every corner of your story across the face of this earth, united in hope, united in vision, united in purpose, united in ministry, as we let ourselves be found by you and respond to the call of Christ. Keep us faithful and fruitful and hopeful and peaceful until we come at last to this table of your kingdom, to the feast with all your saints and the joy of your eternal realm, with you and with your word through Christ and in Christ, 
the one who came for us, died for us, and rose for us, the one who prays even for us, and the one who first taught us to pray as we join our hearts together now, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We, many as we are, are one in Christ, and when we share in the breaking of the bread, is it not a means of sharing in the body of Christ and the bread of life? And the cup over which we give thanks, is it not a means of sharing in the blood of Christ and the cup of forgiveness? Communion this day uh, will be inviting each of you to come forward. A portion of the bread will be broken and placed into your hand. You're invited to consume the element. A cup will be extended to you. You're invited to take one and to consume the grape juice. There are receptacles for after you consume the grape juice that you can leave the uh, plastic cup in. This is not a United Methodist table. All who are here are welcome to come and to receive this sacrament of Holy Communion today. Those of you in the congregation will be invited to come at the direction of our ushers in a moment. But we're first going to start then with those persons who are going to be Uh, assisting us in communion. If you will please come now to receive communion, and then we will move into the stations and invite the congregation to receive. Because God has, the one who has prepared this feast, let us keep the feast with thanks-filled hearts. Mm -hmm. 